four categories with a kind of a character attached to each one, just so that you can understand the overall theme of those six or seven verses just a little bit better. Uh, now, this is this is something I did. This is not the official way to study Proverbs 30 or anything like that. It's simply for the sake of trying to help everyone understand. So, first character. First character is the king. Picks right up at verse two. It says, the wrath of the king is like the roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. A king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters ev- all evil with his eyes. Verse 26, a wise king sifts out the wicked and brings the threshing wheel over them. And then lastly, verse 28, mercy and truth preserve the king. And by loving kindness, he upholds his throne. All right, so we're looking at this first character. We're going to look at the king. And particularly, there's a particular influence on what happens when you make the king mad. So the first thing they say is, right, his wrath is like a roaring lion. And we can just see that we're a little detached from this. When I think of the roar of a lion, I think of something cool, right? You go to the zoo, you want to hear the lion roar. You're upset when the, you know, those big cats aren't doing nothing, they're just asleep. But if you take on the mind of this, however you want to date this, ninth century Jew, you don't ever want to hear a lion roar. There's nothing cool about that, especially if your kids are outside especially if your sheep are outside, especially if you're being carried by the king's guards down to a dungeon where the lions are. The roar of a lion is 100% bad, and it means absolute destruction for you, right? Very similar to verse 26 when it talks about the threshing wheel. This was uh, a wooden wheel. They attached the back of an ox to crush out grain that they used when they farmed. And to us, that just sounds like, okay, it's a garden tool. But Modern day, the dis- level of destruction we're talking about would be like a king sifts out the wicked and he takes their hand and sticks it down the garbage disposal. A king sifts out the wicked and when the trains come in, he just throws them in front of the train tracks. But we're talking about what, what comes with the king's wrath is complete destruction. And the point I want to make is not to scare you, but for the youth, for you to think about how you are interacting with the authority in your life. Do you understand that they do have particular powers that may not always go well for you? Do you understand that your parents don't have to do everything that they do for you? Do you understand that that teacher, depending on how you act in class, can give you an A or an F? Do you understand that when you want to act a fool in court, that judge can give you the minimum sentence or the maximum sentence? Do you understand that when you're on your job, if you want to act a fool, they can fire you on the spot. If you want to act a fool at that traffic stop, that police officer can let you go with a warning. They can give you a $400 ticket or worse. Now, to that end, that's a fine line, right? Because the king is sinful, right? We're not saying the king is justified in everything that he does. We're not saying that Um, it's your fault the police officer pulled the gun on you because you shouldn't have raised your voice at him, okay? We're not saying you should allow that supervisor to just run over you and abuse you just because if if you say something to him, you might get fired. But we are saying, do you understand going into the situations who you're actually dealing with? There's been plenty of times at work I've told my wife, hey, I'm about to go have a conversation with my boss about this, this, this that I don't like, and she says to me, okay, babe, don't get fired. <laughs> right? She, she, she's not saying don't go talk about it. 
She's not saying, hey, don't bring up the fact that what they're doing is wrong. But she is saying, understand the king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. You know, whether he's right or not in what he does, that's not what we're trying to address up here. So what should you do about it? Uh, let's look at that with verse 15. So with verse 15, you could look at this a number of ways. I'm, I want to tackle this particularly to the king um, to kind of make the point of, uh, is there something else that you can do? Is there another way? So what it says in verse 15, there is gold and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. So to first acknowledge some facts, there is gold. There are precious rubies. But if what you, hey, sorry, my <laughs> mom and my, yeah. Um, uh, so it's acknowledging some facts. There is gold and there's precious rubies. But if what you're just looking for is a jewel, the lips of knowledge do just as good. And so it's asking you, hey, are, are there some ways where what you want to accomplish can be done another way? Sure, you may want to go cuss your boss out, but can you just file a complaint with HR? Like, can, can you get this done some other way? And this can even touch on some more sensitive topics, right? Say you're all about criminal justice reform. Good thing, right? It needs to happen. There's the gold. It's the rubies. These laws do need to change. But if your focus is just, I want to keep young boys off the streets and out of jail, understand we can keep a lot of boys out of prison if you just go play basketball with them. Right? It's, not, it's not saying either or. You can do both, but do understand that in some cases, the lips of knowledge are just as good as the jewel. If you want to talk about young girls this, the Bible this, and I'm pro-life this, okay, be pro-life. Whether abortion is legal or not, show it to us that you're pro-life. There's nothing stopping you from building relationships with the young girls in this church. Absolutely nothing. Right? It's not saying don't still put up the legal fight and this or this, but if we get into this habit where our Christianity is purely political, then we're asking, hey, what's leading you? Do you really care about this, or do you just want to pick a fight? What's leading? Is, is it a desire that I want my parents to trust me to go out with the car, or did you want to just prove to them that they were wrong this time? You've been waiting for that opportunity. If, if you really care about this uh, justice reform, this is this, why is it that you have no idea where any of the jails, detention centers, and prisons are in Indianapolis? What, what's leading you in this? And again, we're not saying don't do it, right? Verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel wage war. It doesn't say don't go to war. It just says get those plans together first. If you want to go protest downtown, cool, go do it. But understand you might get tear gassed when you go. Wrath of the king. Understand that if there's an option where the king may come out to you and say, hey, we heard you. We listened to you. What is it that you want? We were wrong. Do you have an answer ready? Or were you just there to pick a fight? Are you actually being led when you challenge the king by a desire to change? And it's worth saying that your, your plan doesn't need to be this five-point bullet plan. You, what you say we need could just be empathy. <laughs> um, but I think we get into this bad habit uh, where we think the... Um, uh, sorry, Proverbs 30, 
Proverbs 20, not 30. Thank you. <laughs> so I mean, I guess I led, I, I led y'all astray, and you're led by the preacher to the wrong scripture. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we get into this bad habit of thinking everything will be better if I just change this law, this law, this circumstance, this circumstance. And we forget that the racism, the sexism, the classism are all roots of sin. As long as sin exists, these problems will be here one way or another. So humor me for a minute. Let's take a literal interpretation of Genesis. Right? We got Adam and Eve. No politics. No church denominations. No in-laws, no work wife, no exes. No internet, no phone, no social media, no body shaming, no good hair, light skin. They didn't even know they were naked. They had what we all say we really need to make it. They, they could feel God walking through the garden. They could hear him talk audibly. And yet they still disobeyed him. They, had, they didn't have any of the things that we say we need to get rid of to make it. And they still disobeyed him. I'll tell you, if, even if everything you want to change about the United States, if it happened tomorrow and we were just completely arson into utopia, if you don't get rid of the sin in people's hearts, we would just start over. And I know for, for a lot of you grads, as college students, like you, you, you've got that desire to go in and, and make those changes. And again, not saying don't do it. Do it. But don't be led by thinking this is what's going to save us. Next character, the unreliable servant. Verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. All right, we're talking about this guy who wants all the benefits of work, but not want to actually do the work. Verse 10, Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord, right? I want to charge this person this. I'm going to charge this person that. I'm going to cheat this person out of something. I want to have these hidden fees to make a little extra money. I want to treat the poor differently from the rich, yada, yada. Verse 13, do not love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with bread. This is one where we can make the mistake of taking this too literally. It's not saying sleep is a sin. It's not saying you're being unbiblical because you've slept six hours, seven hours instead of six hours. All right, what we're talking about, it's very similar to verse four, is this idea of you not working, right? Don't, don't love sleep lest you come to poverty. Hey, if you don't do nothing, you won't have nothing. But open your eyes, right? Get up and do stuff and you will have bread. Bread in that time meaning like just the substance of life. Bread was your grain, your wheat, your food, your trade, your money, right? Say, so, hey, get up and do stuff and you'll have stuff. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger, hold it as a pledge and as force of justice. They had this custom where, say, uh, if, if you covered the debt for someone, Mike needed $50, I covered it for him. You're the surety for that person. I'm surety for Mike. Now what happens is I may realize, oh, I now need some money. So I go to Charles and say, hey, can you, can you cover me 50 because I'm covering Mike 50. The scripture says, hey, be careful of this. When you're covering for someone who's coming for someone else, this may not always be the most reliable situation, especially if Mike wasn't that trustworthy to begin with. 
right? It is okay if you don't, if you're working with someone and you don't like how they're doing things for you to set up boundaries. Bread gained by the sweet is sweet peanut, right? Not literal bread. Uh, but afterwards, his mouth be filled with gravel. An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. 23, just like 10, diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord, but dishonest scales are not good. So, Pastor, last week he touched on a lot of that God's plan is for you to work hard. Now we're adding a caveat, honest work. You can work hard and still be cheating people out of stuff. You can work hard at trying to hit the lottery. And the Bible says, hey, this, right, uh, if you want to invest in a stock or anything, that's cool, that's fine. But do not bank your livelihood on that to, to still not go out and do normal work. And these things will come onto you. Uh, I was at the mall once. Uh, let's not do that one. I was working at the gas station once. Yeah, gas station. And this guy comes in. Uh, it's me, uh, lady, I forget her name, uh, but she's a real pretty girl. He comes up to her, and he's like, hey, you know, how would you like to get out of here? And I'm thinking, okay, this dude's shady. He's not really paying him any attention. And then he says, hey, uh, he pulls up his laptop, his business card, and he goes, you're, you're a real pretty girl. I run an adult uh, webcam website. Um, and, uh, you know, someone like you, you'll be able to set your own rules and make 500 a day. Right? And I wasn't paying him any attention. But when he said 500 a day, I was like, hold up. Because <laughs> we're making 15 an hour. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden, this wasn't so much of a dismissive situation anymore. I'm just like, oh, dear. Like, that's, that's a big difference. And so he left, left his business card, and then she asked me. She was, uh, so she knew I used to come from Bible study straight to work. So she knew, like, I was doing the church thing. So she asked me, please, what would the Bible say about doing something like this? And, and I knew my textbook answer, right? But in the moment, I'm like, girl, you're making 15 an hour. <laughs> if they are going to pay you 500 a day to go play with strawberries, like, I don't, like, I don't really know what to tell you, right? And, and so the truth is, you're going to have these moments as young. These People are going to come up to you with job opportunities. Some you're going to dismiss quickly, be like, oh, I know that. And some you're going to be like, it sounds shady, but it might be worth a try. These scams, these get-rich-quick schemes, everything is going to come up to you, and you're going to be like, this might be worth a try. Now, first four, I want to look at that again, because this is chronic amongst <laughs> youth that I've seen, where you want something, right? You want this harvest but you don't want to do the work to get it. I want to go to college. Where have you applied? Nowhere. When's the deadline? Yesterday. Oops. I want a job. Where have you applied? I've applied to two places. How long have you been looking? Three weeks? Okay. You don't want a job. You just wish you had more money. I want to be a professional athlete. How much do you practice? Once a week? Okay, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> you know, just constantly where the Bible says, hey, this, this is the opposite of wisdom. This is foolishness to think that you're going to get something without putting in the work for it. Even if you don't go, I'm going to start my own business. Okay, are you, are you putting in 40 hours a week towards this? Are, are you working on it? Are you really doing what you need to be doing to get this harvest? And again, we can be quick to dismiss this because 
we don't see ourselves as lazy, right? Or some verses may say the sluggard, the slacker. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not just the lazy person that does this. It's also the spoiled person. You're so used to having everything. Everything's been easy. Everything comes easy. Everything's been given to you. Everything's always worked out in your favor. You've never even had to come up with a plan B. And so the first time something, your, one of your plans don't work out, you're like, I don't know what to do, right? The harvest has come and I haven't plowed because my plan A has never not worked out. And though you may not be lazy, you're in the same position as that lazy person. You've woken up to no harvest because you've been spoiled. Also, there's another person who does this, the prideful person. Right? There's a harvest we want, but we don't do what we need to do because in doing so, we're admitting that our life is in a place we wish it wasn't in. I don't want to apply to that college because by me doing so, I'm admitting and it's coming to grips with the fact that I didn't get into my first three choices. I don't want to apply to that job because I, I graduated college. I have a degree. I was 3.8 in college. And me applying to this job means I did not get a job in my major. And I don't want to work at the gas station. I don't want to cut off this toxic relationship, even though I know I should, because for you, it may mean a failure. Um, it may mean I'm single, and I'd, I'd rather I don't want to be a single person. It may mean maybe you were the issue in the relationship, and that thing, that addiction, whatever you thought you had a hold on, you're now realizing, I don't. And me taking this extra step is me admitting that I'm not really in control of this situation. So our pride keeps us from doing things because we don't want to admit that our life is in a certain place. And also the person with trauma. Real life trauma. There's this thing that you know you need, but the steps to actually get it done, there's so much fear, anxiety, depression, real debilitating fear, anxiety, and depression around these steps that you don't ever do them, and you end up in the same place. Now, I just want to make a point to say therapy and counseling are good. And not just if you need help. You could be in the having the best years of your life and just decide, I want to take intentional steps to stay on top of my mental health and go to therapy and counseling. It's still good. So what makes this person unreliable? Why, why that verse? All right, so um, the idea is that the issue with this person is that they have made a habit of doing things their way. God has told me um, I need to work, but I'm going to get the types of jobs that I want. Right, like Abraham, you're going to have a kid, cool, but I'm going to try to have it with Hagar. Where there's something you should be getting from God, but you decide, I want, I want what he has for me, but I want to get it my way. And you become unreliable because you're not bowing to him. Like Elder Wright preached on, right, you're becoming wise in your own eyes. I'm wiser than God. I'm getting into my own understanding and going about this situation. So the I got this picture up there, uh, Cole, if you know Cole from Martin, um, if you don't, he was kind of the fool of the show. Um, if you didn't watch Martin, think mm, Joey from Friends, Patrick from SpongeBob. You know, they, they were the people on the show with just no common sense. And they couldn't be trusted, not even for the smallest thing, because they were going to mess it up. Right? And I, I want to say, like, if you make a habit out of leaning to your own understanding in this TV show called God's Ministry in Indianapolis, 
you are the coal. Because you can't be trusted with a lot of things because you're so set on doing it the way that you want to do it. An unreliable servant. Third one, the speaker. These next two go pretty quick. I actually wanted to do them together, but there's just not enough space on the screen because they're, they're really the, the opposites of each other. So the speaker and this next character, the young man, is how to do it wrong, how to do it right. So the speaker, here's what they got going on. Verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? So plenty of people are quick to say, I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'm smart. I can do this. I can do that. But all of a sudden, yeah, but and anyone can say that. Are you really doing that? And that keeps going and going until you get to verse 9 where you actually proclaim you have something to do with your own salvation. I cleanse my own heart. I made myself pure. I go to church. I did that. I read my Bible. I, I, I found out God was good. It's all about you. You saved yourself, right? And just think of the craziness. Is you thinking that you saved yourself is like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus saying, yeah, I did that. I got up. And the Bible says, like, no one has or ever will save themselves. It's only God working on your heart. But the speaker here, like, they think they did. I'm good because of me. I'm a good person because I follow the rules. Verse 14, he paints this, paints this scene where they go into the market, and they're talking to someone they're trying to buy something for, and they say, hey, this isn't good for anything. This is worthless. This isn't worth that. This isn't worth that. But then after they actually buy it and leave, when they go to their friends, they say, yeah, I haggled him. I got that down. I got a good deal. I'm the master negotiator saying, hey, look, the, the speaker does this issue where they try to make, make you know stuff about them, how good they are at this. They try to change the situation so it seems like they're always the one with the upper hand. Verse 19, they're a tell bearer. Verse 20, cursing their parents. Some of us, we've had our lamp put out. Verse 22, right? Say, I'm going to repay evil. Speaker, this is what I'm going to go do. And God's saying, slow down. Be quiet. Let me do these things. Similar with verse 25. It's a snare for a man to devote rashly something that's holy and afterwards to reconsider his vows. You're so quick to jump into something. You're so quick to say, this is what I'm going to do. This is the situation. You haven't actually taken the time to understand it. And so where the speaker's big issue is that with his words, he makes everything about themselves. The young man's wisdom is that with his actions, he makes everything about God, right? So where the, tell, the speaker is a talebearer, spreading lies, flattening the lips, the young man says, it's honorable to not strive and not quarrel, verse 3. Where the speaker is quick to devote something rashly and to jump into something, not consider the situation, verse 5, the young man says, I'm going to take my time and get to know this person and seek out counsel for this. Where the speaker is quick to proclaim his own goodness, his own worthiness, verse 7, the young man says, I'm just going to walk in my righteousness and let that be it. Where the speaker is cursing out his mom, the young man in verse 11 is a child known by their good deeds. Where the speaker is saying, I made myself clean, the young man in verse 12 says, I understand anything I have is from God. My ear to hear. Is that what you really do? Yeah, ear to hear. 
your eyes to see, physically and spiritually. Verse 27, the young man understands my spirit is from God, right? Um, So where the speaker is saying, I'm going to repay evil, I'm going to go do this, and God said, the young man in verse 24 understands my steps are from the Lord. I need to be doing what he wants me to do. Where the speaker wants to boast about themselves, here's what I can do, here's what I'm good at, here's where I'm better than everyone else. The young man in verse 29 understands, yes, I have some advantages, right? The young man has strength, the old man has wisdom, but there are advantages God has given me to use for a particular time. They don't, they don't see themselves as better than everyone else. So we're asking this question, what's leading you, right? Is it good for you to take this week and consider where am I being led by the foolishness of the speaker? Where am I constantly trying to portray myself to other people in a way that God doesn't want me to? Take this week to consider the king. How am I submitting to others? What's leading me when I want to challenge authority? Take some time this week and consider how am I bending to the foolishness of the unreliable servant? How am I working with others? What's my idea around money? Do I make excuses when I want to go against God's plan? Take some time this week to consider, hey, what am I, what am I doing right? Right? Where, where am I? How am I following the wisdom of the young man? How am I showing Christ to others and can, and can keep doing that? And I think that would also be good for you to consider as a family as well. Right? Especially if you're watching live stream, you've got some time afterwards. Right? It'd be good. Go around. You know, ask somebody, hey, where do you see me being the speaker at? How do you see me being an unreliable servant? Where do you see me acting like a young man? Um, now, some of y'all may need a mediator for this, <laughs> depending on how well you <laughs> you take things. But uh, I do think we should not waste our Sunday morning sermons. Whether you liked it or not, whether you're interested and kept your attention or not, I do think that, hey, if we're deciding as a church we want to talk about Proverbs 20, um, then... Let's not let it be a waste. Like, what what can I actually learn and change about myself from the wisdom that is in Proverbs 20, right? And you may just have to, someone may tell you something, and you may just have to deal with it, right? Um, now, I will say one particular thing. Um, I'm only 31, but I've seen some patterns, uh, particular in that I've seen a lot of, a lot of husbands who see themselves as the king in that they are the ones, if you challenge me, you're going to feel my wrath. I just want to ask you all, don't be that to your family. It will make it almost impossible for you to grow and change. Right? And, and you, that, that may be your situation where you may seriously need to, to bring in one of the elders from the church and say, hey, this, this, this is where our family is right now. This is addressing one of the big issues in our family. But, like, my, my husband thinks he's the king. If it's not the husband, whoever it is, right, just speaking what I've seen, um, and bring someone else in because it matters. 
the people in your family should not be afraid to talk to you. So, lastly, and we'll close, just make sure that we are at all times being led by Christ. Right? It's kind of where the young man is at, but good theology is how you treat others. Right? Good theology is not in your politics primarily. Right? That's why there's to others, to others, to others, to others at the end of that. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would he treat this person? What would he say? Would he have made the comment, would he have done the thing that I just did? If you can't say yes to that question, reconsider that. Amen? Now, um, I think the grads are getting let out right here early. I'm looking for confirmation. Yes, so if you want to slip out with me and head, head out to those tables out there and then give it over to Mike and they'll wrap up the service. But grads, um, head out to your tables and then I believe the rest of us will get out to you um, at the conclusion of the service. Thank you, Cletus. Thanks, Cletus. Um, man, powerful sermon this morning. A uh, lot to take home and dive into with the family and with my own heart. A um, couple of things I want to draw your attention to is a reminder that you get an email every Monday that has the church announcements. Please read through that. Um, we're not going to re repeat the whole email to you. Uh, during this time, but I do want to bring one thing to your attention. We have the VBS coming up, um, and there's a, a volunteer workshop on June 